microphone on. There we go. We're going to be having a few different people share. And it's going to be incredible. Um, we wrapped up a 12-week-long series on the Gospel of Luke, looking at how Jesus is restoring the world, how he was doing that, and how he is doing that. And so today we have the opportunity to hear from multiple people. If you had to summarize Luke in one word, what would that be? What would that one word be? And so we have Mary's going to share. And we're going to have Alex Smith and Emily Vigil. And, and, and it's going to be an incredible time. They've given me a snippet of what they have to share. And so let's listen. Let's soak it in. And listen to how the Spirit speaks through each one of us. Amen? Amen. Good morning. I am Mario. My word is change. And there's two stories in Luke and Luke 8 that, 8 that just fire me up and at the same time challenge me beyond. The first story is Luke 8, 19. It's where Jesus, his mother, and his brothers came to see him, and they can't get to him because of the crowd. So once someone says to Jesus, your mother and your brother are outside. They want to they talk to you. Go see them. And Jesus says in reply, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's words and put it into practice. Another version may say, obey it. I'm like, boom, there it is. That's it. That's what we need to know. Hear God's word, obey it. Now, do I want to do that all the time? No, I do not. I'm an independent woman. I like to control my destiny. I like to make my own decisions. <sighs> doesn't always work so God says no Mary hear it and obey but in order for me to do that I have to change change I have to change my thinking I have to change my heart I have to get rid of my hard heart I have to put my ego and my pride to the side I have to change in order to hear God's word and obey it the second story that fires me up is the one right after that it's where Jesus and the disciples get in the boat, and they go across the sea. Jesus falls asleep. The winds come up. The waves are raging. The disciples get all scared, and they wake Jesus up. Master, master, we're going to drown. So Jesus gets up. He rebukes the waves. The wind goes down, and then he turns to his disciples, and he goes, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And then when I'm not obeying, I hear that. Jesus saying to Mary, where's your faith? Here was Jesus, human, but fully God. Jesus could do anything, anything. He could bring people from the dead. And he's in the boat with these guys. And they didn't have enough faith in him. Instead, they had faith in their own fears, their own thoughts, their own heart, their own thinking. So then... Jesus goes, Mary, where's your faith? And I go, yeah, it's in myself. It's in what I want to do. It's in Mary's rule book, how Mary wants to make decisions and control my life. And then I come back to this word, change. Oh, yeah, Mary's got to change. <laughs> i got to change my thinking. i got to change my life. So two incredible scriptures 
but the way we can live them out is we got to keep looking at ourselves and constantly make the change. It's hard, but the rewards are amazing. So to God be the glory. So, good morning. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> so, my word that I took away from this series in Luke is secure. Um, to be honest, I kind of struggled with finding the right word. Uh, I was able to get some help from some people and, and narrowed it down to that. Um, but I just felt like that was the right fit uh, for, for my takeaway from this series. And I chose that word uh, because I felt like so many times throughout Luke, there were reminders and verses and even just examples from Jesus in what it meant to truly be secure in God. It's kind of funny how the spirit works because even last night and even some this morning, I was really struggling with feeling insecure. Um, you know, throughout this series, we've had times of discussion and fellowship and the Monday night groups, and I've been able to share kind of what I'm getting from it. And Satan was really just working on me and was like, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. You're just repeating yourself. You're saying it over and over. And I was like, oh, man, I was really struggling just with that piece of insecurity. But then this morning on my drive here, I was praying. And I just prayed. I was like, God, okay, thank you for this, giving me this word secure. And I was like, that's it. That's the piece. I need to be secure. You know, the spirit really put the things that have, have interrupted my heart on my heart for a reason. You know what I mean? I can't let Satan slip in there and, and distract me from that and, you know, try to, try, to, try to throw me off balance. And so I just felt like that word was, was really, um, really fitting. Um, I was so encouraged throughout the, the Luke series just to see Jesus' Jesus's security. Um, it didn't matter if he was with the poor, if he was with the sick, if he was with the Pharisees, he was secure. He knew what his mission was. And he knew who he was because of God. Um, I think about the lesson that Ethan did from Luke 16, and we kind of talked about how easy it is to, for us to throw on those extra things, those extra things in our Christian walk. And we talked about um, just how, I mean, even just kind of off-putting those can be to others. And I think what really struck me was when we start to add those things on, that's when we really show our insecurities. That's when we start to try to protect ourselves, um, try to protect what we know, traditions, whatever it may be. Um, and that's the, the complete opposite of being secure in, in God. Um, yeah, so when we, yeah, when we add all those layers, it, it shows our insecurity, and that's not what Jesus calls us to do. Um, we have to trust solely in God. Uh, I read uh, in Luke 10, verse 20, I was really struck by um, the verse that I'm actually going to read it. So this is uh, the 72, Jesus sent them out, they're coming back to Jesus, and they're, you know, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. And his response in verse 20, he says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And to me, I just felt like there's such a, a, a call to, to security, such a call to focus in that scripture. I mean, there's, there's going to be good and bad days that we have, but at the end of the day, we have to be secure that God called us, that we're secure, that our names are written in heaven. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's, my, that's my takeaway from Luke, to be secure, to be secure in Christ. Um, but that's my takeaway. And prayerfully, you guys have your own takeaways, and prayerfully, you guys are having those discussions with each other. Um, about those things, because that's how we will grow in unity. So that's my time. Thank you.
tall as everyone else. Should have worn my heels, right? Yeah, that would have helped. Um, morning. Um, so when Ethan asked me to share, uh, I was trying to think of what could possibly summarize Luke for me in just one word, and I couldn't do it. So you'll get two words from me, and they are realigned values. Um, I'm going to be reading from Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Um, I love this story because Jesus is so gentle. He acknowledges the value in what Mary is doing to honor him and to cultivate a relationship for, with him to find his heart. But he's not frustrated or upset with Martha either. He calls to her gently and says, only one thing is needed. Realign yourself. Refocus yourself onto what that one thing is. Um, I mean, that's all through Luke. I had a really hard time picking a scripture because there's so many times that Jesus does that. Um, we see that in Luke 7, the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet. Luke 15, the lost parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. The widow at the temple who put in her two small coins compared to the wealth of everyone else. Jesus continually pointed out for others to see um, that he values the heart of people who are meek and people who are seeking, people who are broken, people who are in need. Each interaction that Jesus had with people showed them how much he valued them. And you can see in his actual interactions with people who valued his heart how much he lifted them up, showed their humility, showed what they were seeking, and honored them for it. In my life, I lose sight of what's important a lot because I'm going through the motions or there's traditions involved that are just blinding me. Um, I can get really hurt. And I just need to remember like what those things actually point to. Um, the motions are not meant to be motions. I'm meant to read my Bible and pray and come to church because that helps me to seek the heart of God. And it helps me to seek relationships with other people. Um, hurt is not designed to promote bitterness and gossip and grudges. It's meant to help us to be vulnerable with each other, for us to reconcile, to experience reconciliation with each other in the way that God reconcil reconciles with us. But I use, an, is, I use it as an excuse for those other things. I allow my pride to lead my hurt instead of my need. Jesus' life through Luke's account has helped me to see better how God gives us our worth and thus helped me to understand what my purpose is and to search for God's heart. Jesus realigns us so that we, what we might consider as worthless or broken is precious and worthy of pursuit. Through his life, he shows us to see value in that which is unwanted or broken. 
Jesus show you, shows us where true value is found. So just crumple up this paper and let's just pray and uh, I gotta say something though, right? Wow, let's give him a hand. That was incredible. Thank you guys for letting God speak through you to us. Um, yeah, that's a lot to chew on. A lot to chew on there. I want to share a word with you guys here too. This might be a little heavy or really real. It is. God's word's like that, right? I want you to think for a second. If you got paper in front of you, maybe write this down. You can rip it off, write it down, or think about it at least. I want you to think about something that matters to you like a lot about being a Christian. And maybe, and this is something we talked about, I, I brought this question up a long time ago, but another way of viewing that is, what is something that just really bothers you when your fellow Christians don't do that thing? Okay, you with me? Yeah. Think for a second. Write it down. That works. You type it down too. The context of Luke, say it again. What matters to you about living as a Christian? What's the thing that bothers you when fellow Christians don't do that thing? The context of Luke is incredibly important. It's incredibly important for us to understand. If we want to take that message written down and be able to apply it, take it into our hearts for transformation, for change, for security, right? For those things, we have to understand the context. This is written to a blended church. It's written to a church of Gentiles and Jews. It is a blended church, culturally speaking. Luke was Paul's guy. Many people think Luke is writing down this account of the gospel because of what Paul's been doing, because of Paul's ministry. You read the letters from Paul, what is the number one thing Paul talks about? How to live in unity. Divisions between the Jews and Gentiles within the faith. All things to all people theology, yeah? Yeah. This is likely, this gospel, the gospel of Luke was likely written to Christians in Rome in the 60s, under Emperor Nero, with persecution starting to weigh down. And I'm not talking about being talked about behind their back by their neighbors. We're talking about jail time. We're talking about death, right? And that is the situation. More than likely, I believe that the original audience of Luke, the recipients of that gospel are being written to. And they need to be reminded of who Jesus is. They need to be reminded, because what do people do when they face hard times? They default. They go back to what they know. They push their issues. And, And I believe Luke, in writing this gospel down, in this way, the order he places these stories, these themes and ideas that just hit and hit and hit, he's just telling these Christians who are going through it, Don't forget who Jesus is. Don't forget God's mission. Don't forget who you are. So my one word is mirror. 
open with me to Luke 18. You know, here in Luke, we got to, I don't know how many chapters where Jesus is just really leaning in with the religious elites. And he's talking to them. And then in the middle of this discourse and these teachings, we get this story about a blind man being healed. And on a surface level, if we don't dig deeper, we're just like, okay, that's random. I'm sure there's some deep spiritual meaning there, but I don't quite get it, right? Do you, enter, do you encounter that when you read scripture? You're like, oh, that's random. Move along. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Luke 18, verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked them what's, what is happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. He shouted out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? As if Jesus couldn't notice that. There's a blind man who's poor and destitute saying, please (laughs) come here, Jesus. But he wants to draw this guy's heart out. Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. You have received your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus, praising God. People saw it. They praised God too. What's going on here? There's something that happens to us. We become Christians. We're super close with God. We're reading the word all the time. We have this crazy intimacy with him, and we're just all out, right? All out. That's a word, I think, within our community. We're all out. We're sold out. And then over time, it starts to fizzle. Don't feel that same. It's it's just different, right? It's just different. Start to glaze over. Start to hold on to our defaults, our traditions a little harder. When we start to go through trials and temptations in the faith within the body. I think Jesus is telling the people around him that I think Luke is telling the audience of this to open your eyes to see. Open your eyes. God's word. What is God's word here for? What is, like really? What is this for? Does it look nice on a bookshelf or on a coffee table? It's to know God, but it's also there for another reason. It's so you can know yourself. Because those things are tied together. I think the reality is it's so easy to become a self-imposed blind beggar type of Christian sitting by focused on my needs not seeing the people around me waiting for others to come rescue me reading scripture can seem more like an obligation about trying to perfect that you know trying to make the perfect quiet time right instead of seeing and knowing God and exposing my heart The word is like a mirror for our souls. You know, I've learned from myself the thing I would have written down with you guys or that I have thought about. What bothers me is when fellow Christians are hypocritical. 
when they focus more on what other people are or are not doing instead of focusing on their own hearts and letting God change their hearts. Shallow discipleship, high expectations. Then I realized the irony in that, Ethan. Ethan, you don't like people being hypocritical because they think about others, but in that very thought, in that heart, that mindset, I'm thinking about others. Ouch. How am I doing with that? How much energy, headspace, do I give to that versus allowing God to do a miracle within me? I perpetuate the very thing that bothers me the most. That thing you wrote down, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that thing? Is it even a biblical expectation or is it a preference? How much energy do you spend living that out yourself instead of focusing on others? You know, I think this issue lies at the heart of family life within the church community. Being unified within a group of people, of, let's say, imperfect people, that's what I am. From different cultures and backgrounds, that's the audience of Luke. That's kind of us, too. Who could do such a thing? Only God, right? Only the Spirit's work. You know, we're going to move into a time of communion here. God's word is also a mirror that points us to Jesus. We had a, a guest speaker this summer who came and talked about being angled mirrors. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah. But God's word points us to Jesus. If you want to flip with me to Luke 24... In verse 44, this is after the resurrection, Jesus is encountering, encountering his disciples, and they like still don't believe, even though he's been telling them this stuff the whole time. He's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you guys one more time. Not one more, but you get me. In verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written, that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are my witnesses of these things. The story of God what you hold in your hands, what you hear and experience, that story of God written for us in the Bible is for all people to be able to dwell again with their creator. Forgiveness, that forgiveness of sins, the lifting of sin from one's soul, it's a doorway to intimacy with God. Jesus is the one who makes this possible. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If you've experienced any bit of intimacy with our God, you know that's what it's all about. Amen? Jesus makes this possible, not just by his death on the cross, but by the way he lived. Let's pray. Focus on those words that were shared. 
change. Secure. Realigning value. Mirror. Talk to somebody next to you. Can we do that during communion? Talk to somebody next to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Thank you, God, that you do not give up on us. Forgive us, God. We are imperfect people. We are a stiff-necked people. We want to be like Jesus. Help us to dwell on what one another have said this morning. And God, you put a word on all of our hearts. Imagine that tapestry, Father, of the way you're speaking to each one of us. God, thank you for that. Help us to dwell on how we can be like Jesus. Listen to his words, to take that, to obey that, to have faith in that and trust that, Father. To rely on you and nothing else, not tradition, not my defaults. God, but to see myself as you see me. To value others as Jesus does, as you do, God. Help us, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Help us to carry our cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen.